Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. She was about to make Indian tacos, his favorite before the night his dad died, before he smelled batter and oil and blood as one, the memory a warm penny in his mouth, always. This program features the work of 2014 writer Kristen Miares Young. Curator Felicia Gonzalez sat down with her in the studio. How does your work engage with the broader world? My hope is that I'm able to take the experience that I have as an investigative reporter and someone who's deeply committed to immersion research and bring that into writing from the perspectives of characters who may or may not share a life experience with me. Because I feel that the true work of fiction is to explore other people's mentalities and other people's emotions. And we can create empathy through writing. Even if the things that we write are dark, there is hope that through the telling and reading of a story that a greater understanding about the human condition can be reached. If I were to boil down my novel in, into one you know, sentence, I would say it's about the lies we tell ourselves so we don't have to change. And it took me a, a long time to understand that these self-given narratives actually impede our process of individuation and impede our ability to make progress within our lives as empathetic human beings. And had I not given myself the license to write from the perspective of a mid-40s Indian guy or write from the perspective of a mid-40s divorcee academic, then I would not have been able to reach that because I would have been working only with the truths that I have within my own experience thus far. Now we'll hear a selection from Kristen's live reading. So Subduction is about an ill-fated affair between an anthropologist and a hoarder's son. That man, Peter, has returned from many years away from the reservation, and he came back to find his mother in a different state than he left her. By the time they unearthed the rainbow-colored stacks of paper plate holders, Maggie had retreated to the kitchen to whip up some batter. Peter felt sick to his stomach, wanted to tell his mother, don't make fry bread, but couldn't, not when it would get her out of the way. The cleanup was ticking along smoothly, he and Claudia sorting the bags of tchotchke. True, seeing the evidence of his mother's obsessive, disordered mind made him feel like dying. He plunged his hands into hundreds of Niabe keychains, their colors revealing their era of origin. First, the muted beige and crisp navy blue of the late 70s then the day-glow fuchsia and highlighter yellow of the 80s, followed by the mauve and white 90s, which is when she seemed to have moved on to other things. Claudia wasn't saying much as she squatted over the piles, but he could tell that she was thinking on something because her brow was furrowed, and she didn't seem to notice the aroma wafting from between her legs, warm and pungent. To be frank, she smelled like raw clams left in the sun, but he forgave her, considering that this was their smell, and the only reason he didn't find it familiar was that he was usually long gone by this time after a tryst. Peter watched Claudia sort the keychains by color, plopping them into plastic grocery bags, and he didn't bother to correct her obvious waste of time, happy to see her silky black hair fall over her cheek. From certain angles, she looked like she belonged here, and if he let himself think that way, it would be something to settle down with such a pretty lady, even if she was on the skinny side. A man didn't need much more than a truck 
and a woman and a place to park them both. They could buy a new house, set it down where this broke-down old trailer was as soon as it worked out. Guilt broke his reverie because he was already planning on his mother's passing, and there she was, in the kitchen. Luckily, Claudia didn't seem interested in sorting the fried food baskets by color, just stacked them off to the side, the puzzled look on her face being replaced by something more, a gradual dawning he wished she would share. We should throw this stuff away, he said. She winced. Or recycle it, donate it, whatever. There's nothing useful here. I think she was saving it for a reason. Claudia was not looking at him. She was tracing the thin grid of a plastic basket designed to hold a square of paper and fries, something crispy and delicious, but which had instead for years held its twin. Claudia inserted her fingers into the lattice, lifted a few from the stack, and let them drop. I'm sure she thought so, but we know better. Peter grabbed the bags of keychains. It's got to go. This whole place is a fire hazard. You should have seen it when the newspapers were here. You couldn't even move around. And the stench. Believe me, there's no plan here. Claudia did not answer him, instead undid the knot of another bag, pulling from it three blankets, the kind Peter remembered from every couch of his childhood but last saw at truck stops, thick acrylic and royal blue and crimson, covered with airbrushed wolves howling at the moon and eagles with outstretched wings. His mother's bed had nothing but a thin duvet with no down comforter inside it. She didn't like to sleep hot, she said, but it bothered him how she stinted herself while keeping blankets for beds that had never been made, never been slept in. She was a goner. She'd been long gone by the time he got back to her. He didn't know what he was hoping for when he bagged this shit in grief and desperation, troubled by her repeating mind, her obsession with useless household items, the acquisition of one and another and another, never satisfied with what she had, but already fixated on the one coming down the pike. Kind of like his serial fuckery, but there was no mass grave of past lovers to shame him, and yet here was hers, disinterred. Let me talk to her, Claudia said. Okay, but that can't end up with us saving this stuff. It's got to go. Claudia put her hands on her knees and straightened up, avoiding eye contact with him as she moved to lean the doorway between the kitchen and the living room. Peter glanced around her to see her mother, see his mother flowering her hands, surrounded by a thin metal mixing bowl, a heaping bag of flour, a can of baking powder, a large cup of water, and a shaker of salt. She was about to make Indian tacos, his favorite before the night his dad died, before he smelled batter and oil and blood as one, the memory a warm penny in his mouth, always. He had never been able to eat fry bread since, never been able to go to a powwow in some distant city without missing home, without staggering out, tears streaming from the oil and flower smell that hovered over the fairgrounds, the stray ladies in the parking lot thinking he was just another sad drunk who shouldn't be around children. Even thinking about it started to shiver in his chest that shuddered up to a tick in his left eyelid. He didn't want to be in the house while she cooked this, didn't want her to make it, but he didn't want a repeat of the battle they had this morning. A hard-won calm kept her in its grip while the drugs lasted. She was serene, moving like she was in water, waiting from counter to counter, humming. Peter stepped onto the porch into the damp cold, leaving the door open as he braced himself with deep gulps. The more he inhaled, the more air he wanted, his chest heaving, lungs singed by the struggle to give himself what he needed. He could not get enough, could not fill himself up, but he kept trying, bending over to prop himself up against the trailer, huffing clean mist until his teeth buzzed. Calm down, he commanded. Calm down. He tried not to hug himself in case the neighbors were watching, which they always were, instead boxing the air and spinning in a tight circle like he was out to get a little exercise. 
Any man needed to step out sometimes. After he'd thrown enough punches to heat his cold sweat, running his place, his feet thrumming like the wings of a hummingbird, he was glad to find Claudia's forsaken cigarette behind his ear and a lighter in his pocket, and that burnt taste was never so good. He took it again and again, the ember hurrying toward the filter. Now he was relaxed. Now he could listen. Well, mine never turns out that stretchy, Claudia was saying, and he knew his mother was pulling the batter apart. Never need fry bread, that's a mistake, she said and there was a thump of dough falling onto a flowered span of countertop, like the old days. Yes, ma'am. Claudia didn't seem false like he thought she might. Maybe she could learn something. But then, so, Maggie. He heard bubbling. His mother always dipped the end of a wooden spoon into the oil to make sure it was hot enough, and his mother's silence. She could wait anyone out, a trick Peter had used on his bosses, who would fill his lengthy pauses with chattering accusations, depleting their own power, unused to his peculiar form of non-response, which could be mistaken for politeness. Claudia cleared her throat. So, Maggie, I was just noticing all the wonderful things you've gathered over the years. Gathered? Be honest, he yelled in his mind. She's a hoarder. She needs to be in a home. And I can't help but notice... A lot of them seem like gifts. Did she say gifts? Claudia's voice was soft. He backed toward the door, cocking his head to one side. The first piece of fry bread went into the cast iron with a frenzied rush of hot froth. The sweat that had risen and vanished from his forehead was replaced, replenished by a line of beads across his brow. Stay put, he told himself, his heart speeding. Stay put. His mother had not yet replied, but Claudia kept at it. I've seen those kinds of gifts before, at that potlatch we attended on the Quilliet Reservation. Remember? Another ball of dough sent the oil into its fury. And you had to admire the sheer cussedness of women, he conceded. They were squared off now, but his mother had pulled out her stoic Indian act and was silent. The smell of fry bread was sucking out the door and glomming onto him. His heart ricocheted around his chest, sweat running down his cheeks. His back against the wall, he slid down, covering his eyes, keeping his ear as close to the door jam as he could stand, turning his head every once in a while to catch a fresh breath. He heard a paper towel tear. The bubbles were still, oil dripping. He imagined the fry bread being lifted onto a plate, soaking the paper. Saw his father's blood, too, unbidden, the stain spreading across his mind. Were you planning a party? Claudia's voice was sweet. She'd never used that solicitous tone with him, but maybe she had, and he'd listened past it, heard the condescension. What was she driving at? Were you planning a potlatch for Peter? Did you want to have a giveaway? Maybe pass on some things? Maybe his Indian name? Some songs? He heard a creaking wheeze, a shattered cough, a wail suppressed. He tipped his face back toward the house, peering over his right shoulder, his hand pivoting on the dirty concrete, and saw the dark crown of Claudia's head bent over his mother's small coiled braid, saw her hands patting his mother's heaving back, saw his mother encircle this stranger like she was a boy, like she was saved from drowning, the two of them sobbing together, Claudia, that pantomiming cunt, the two of them sobbing together, and him outside, dying alone. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2014 curator of this program is Felicia Gonzalez. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Mo Proventure. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, 
Mo Preventure, and Steve DeTori. Narrator is Jin Hammond, and Executive Director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by two trios with Victor Noriega, Jeff Johnson, and Greg Campbell, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Fort Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in the series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>